This is officially take two of this episode of Big Banter. Because I'm an idiot and I stopped the first recording after I'm not about what four four minutes in there. I'm not editing this out. The people need to know. Yeah, no, they 100 percent do. Listen, we we discussed in the last one what our favorite game day food and drink was, but now it just feels like the luster is gone. And you know what, Alex has robbed you all of that. So I'll give you cliff notes. I eat traditional wings. Ethan also wants traditional wings with seltzer water and Corey eats taco bell like a 16 year old listen it's affordable it's bulk food you can get a lot of it for fairly cheap and then it's got one of the best soft drinks known to man in baja blast so when is the the better question is when would taco bell not be an appropriate time to eat it i i typically only go for taco bell after dark that's that's typically my rule for taco bell i gotta go put this guy to bed Okay, see you, Ethan. We'll start the episode. <laughs> you go put your kid to bed. Fatherhood comes first. I, I know this now that I just became a father. I'm five weeks in, and so far, I'm crushing it. Congratulations. You're a great dad. You're a dad of, the, you're a dad of your son, and you're a dad of this podcast. Aw, thanks, Corey. Well, if you love Big Ten football, then you came to the right place. Welcome to Big Banter, everybody. If you're new here... Like, follow, wherever you're listening, Apple, Spotify. Uh, make sure you hit that follow or that subscribe button. And then on the socials, Instagram and threads at B1G Banter. And on Twitter or X, whatever the kids are calling it these days, at B1G Banter Pod. Ethan was supposed to say something nice to the listeners, but that was that was the first take. He's gone. Corey, say something sweet to, to the people listening. Listen, sometimes if you feel like you're just second string, like you're not supposed to say something nice to the listeners and then you do because of technical difficulties, that's okay because, hey, we're all people and we all listen to the things that we like and we like that you guys like our podcast. So thank you so much for taking a listen to us talk about Michigan football, Iowa's lack of offense, Penn State's uh, rise to fame and then sharp decline and then Ohio State's just be in Ohio State. Thank you for listening to us ramble on to our analysis and picks because at the end of the day, we do it for you, the listener. Uh, and we do it for us because uh, my wife gets mad when I talk too much about this stuff to her. Like She can handle a certain amount of football content during the day, and then eventually I'm just – nothing's registering, and I need an interested audience. And when you record a podcast, the good thing is, even if no one's listening, you feel important talking into a microphone. That's like, I think, why every man over the age of 23 decides at one point in their life, I'm going to make a podcast and talk about things that I like. So there you go. And this podcast will almost be like a time capsule of us long after we're gone. Like this will survive on the interwebs and... Our children and our children's children and, and their children, they're all, they'll all be able to come back and listen to us talk about ridiculous things. Dude, that's crazy. I never really thought about that. Like, Isn't someday- that wild? This will be, this will be like, uh, this, this sound of us will last forever. Well, like someday, like your great, great, great grandkid will like hear what great, great, great grandpa like Alex 
sounded like. That's kind of why I I don't know how I feel about that. That's kind of weird. I prefer to be in hologram form. Maybe that's the next step for big banter. We'll go from podcast to hologram show. And then you can just like put us up in your living room and then we'll we'll just be like duking out our random takes. That's kind of fun. That's look at you know what? Bill Gates, all of you smart people, get on that. I don't know why this isn't like mass like available to the public yet. Dudes with podcasts would be so much more annoying with hologram technology. I think you should get on it. Okay? Get solve the real issues today. I agree. So I guess we should probably start talking about football now. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about football, kind of. We are going to talk about a football team in the Big Ten, but unfortunately we're talking about off-field issues. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We saw the signs. Uh, Michigan sign-stealing scandal is full force right now. There's, I mean, there's stuff coming out every single day now since the story broke. So we're recording this on Monday night. I, I'm sure by the time you listen to this, something new will come out. By the time the, the games happen this weekend, I'm sure a lot more is going to come out too. So let's give you the cliff notes, okay? A couple of schools in the Big Ten, anonymous coaches, complained that they believed Michigan was illegally, keyword there, stealing signs, like play signals and stuff like that. Keyword illegally, because stealing signs – Happens all the time, every week, across every single game in the country. However, there is a way to do it legally, which is in-game. You're just looking across the sideline, or you just happen to study film that week and see something, you know, see a quarterback signal or whatever, and you gain your knowledge that way. What you can't do, and what Michigan has allegedly and almost assuredly done, is a staffer cannot or someone cannot go to a team you're going to play in three weeks can't go to their game on any given week video record in-person scout weeks ahead of you playing them you cannot gather information from that you cannot use that to game plan etc so this is what they were accusing michigan of doing and what's come out today is a low-level staffer connor stallions basically it's been found out that he has purchase tickets to what was it Corey? i think the number is 30 right 30 different games 30 different games 11 big 10 teams yeah over the past couple years where he hasn't gone but he's bought tickets for people to go and sit in the stadium and watch the game and what is presumed is that they're videotaping sidelines they're gathering signs they're sending him the tape He's deciphering the signs weeks ahead of time and helping Michigan game plan. Now, everything up until when I said he's purchased tickets to 30 games, 11 different teams, and sent people to go to the games, that's all like true, verified. The video stuff, like video surveillance of the person who's in that seat in the stadium videoing the game, potentially that video from that person's phone, potentially on Connor Stallion's laptop. That all hasn't been confirmed yet. The articles are leading us to believe that it probably will be confirmed, that at least they have surveillance of the person who's sitting in that purchase ticket seat videoing a game. That seems to be something that's going to come out. So it's looking worse and worse for Michigan. 
Um, not sure what the penalty is going to be. There uh, was actually a story floating around that someone at Baylor did this um, a while back and they got suspended. I think it was like for a half or something. The staffer couldn't be at the game or something like that. It was a very, very minor thing. But but a sign-stealing network of this magnitude, if he's sending these tickets to people across the country, multiple games, you know, 30 games of scouting, this is a different level that has not been done before. So there might be... There might not be a precedent for it. So the NCAA, can they do whatever they want? Can they ban them from the postseason? Can they vacate wins? We're not going to get into all that because we don't know. What we can get into is what does this, I guess, how big of a deal is this? That's probably the best question to start with because depending on who you ask, the answer differs. If you ask a rival, it's a huge deal. And if you ask some Michigan fans, it's a huge deal. But some Michigan fans don't see this as a big deal, don't see it as a big advantage because you can get the same information from all 22 film during the week. They just happen to get it a couple weeks ahead of time. And, you know, how much is it affecting the game, right? Wouldn't they blow out Rutgers anyways, even if they didn't have some of the signs? So, Corey, I feel like you're probably a little bit on the fence about this. Sorry, that's my stupid dog. Uh, How big of a deal is this to you as a fan? You know, I, it's I, – I, I, wow. I, I was kind of speechless when hearing all of the news break just because, like, you're riding on a high. This is a weekend that should have been very much celebrated for Michigan fans, even with the news breaking because news broke on Wednesday. Not anybody was really sure of what was going on. You go and play the game, and then you win 49-0. to um, And it's like, oh, this is great. And then more details come out about this case. And if you, I like to think I'm somewhere in the middle, like in all things, not just like scandals related as far as like Michigan athletics goes. When I first saw the purchasing of tickets, 30 30 games, 11 teams, I was really disappointed. And because it, it looks at least very much on the surface that, Michigan was doing something that they shouldn't have been doing in the first place. And that makes you sad because you've seen so much, like, I don't know, you've, you've heard of the history, but you haven't really seen Michigan compete at the elite level that your grandfather or your father had seen growing up until very much right now in these past three seasons where they've been a dominant force. And I think back to the games against Ohio State, where every year you're like, oh, maybe this is the year, this is the year that they're going to do it, and then they find a way to lose. And then you ask yourself the question, like, is this team ever going to beat Ohio State again? And then you see it happen for the first time. The monkey is lifted off the back. And then you see it happen again. And you're like, oh my gosh, are we beginning to get back into those times that you know Michigan dominated the sport? And you're thinking, like, it can't get much better. And then this news drops. And then those old thoughts kind of creep back into your head again of like, man, maybe like they got desperate and they they tried to figure out ways to get a competitive advantage outside of the rules. And you're like, you know, is that is that really what, you know, this is all about here? Um, So that's me looking at the big picture and maybe me looking too much into it as far as the case itself. Oh gosh, it seems in an unbiased way, 
you know, I, I, I think you're trying to get a competitive advantage at any point, and you're trying to hug the line of what's legal and what's not as close as you can to not cross it. And I think, you know, this is one of those things where they crossed the line, it, it looks like, but again, you're sitting there and looking at all the information come out, and you're like, what, what exactly isn't? What exactly is and isn't crossing the line? Yeah, and and there's a lot that still has to come out too. Like, you know, did Connor Stallions? And this is not me taking Michigan's side by any means, but did did he just buy these tickets for people to go watch games? Like, maybe the surveillance footage will have them not even with their phones out, or did he communicate this information to the coaches? Did he do this? You know, was it a rogue solo mission? Or did the coaches tell him to go do this? Like, there are a lot of dots to still connect here to figure out if this is like a, you know, a program top to bottom issue, or if this is just one idiot who was trying to fulfill his SEAL Team 6 dream and just go rogue and be a value to the program. There's a lot to still prove here. You know, I, I find it really hard to believe that no one else in the program knew what was going on. Because this was a guy who was a volunteer for I don't know how many seasons until this year. This is his first year on staff as a paid analyst of some sort. Is that correct? Is that information you know check out? Yeah, I, I, well, I think he started getting paid in 2022, and I think he was on staff starting in 2015. I think that's what the years were. Okay. Well, what is is on staff the same as volunteer? I guess. I honestly. No, I think it's different because from what I read, he was like paying his way to get back and forth from wherever he was living to get to Michigan for game days back in, you know, 2015, 16, et cetera. And I think from what it said in the article, he's making like 55 grand a year or something right now. Okay. So uh, it's, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I could put on my biased hat, my Michigan fandom, and talk about all of the all of the agenda pushes that have been happening online and on Twitter because it's been truly if you are a Michigan fan you have been glued to your social media feed whichever and you're trying to figure out answers of what the heck is going on because at the end of the day the general public has their opinion which if you you know subscribe to this conspiracy theories that's what the plan was all along for the NCAA. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying believe that, and I'm not even saying look that up. But if you look at the other side, you have some general people or some genuine people looking for some genuine answers. Is this cheating? How deep does this go? Um, but to answer this question, first and foremost, I still do find it really hard to believe that nobody knew what was going on. Like, this guy's been with the program for a few seasons now, and if he had any valuable information, then, you know, he would get a shot to figure it out. So I, I, the whole thing is strange, very, very strange. And, I, and again, the question at the end of the day, to, you answer the first question, then you get another question. How much does this affect Michigan's turnaround this past three seasons? Yeah, so um, I'll answer the first question. Is it a big deal? Do I think it's a big deal? Um. I lean towards the side that I do feel like it's a really big deal. And there are a lot of people out there, Michigan and not Michigan fans, you know, alike that think this is just scouting. You know, there were guys like JJ Watt and RG three commenting, like if they're investigating Michigan for this, then they should investigate everyone for this. Um, 
I don't necessarily think that's the case because I don't think every team has this kind of scheme going on. But but this does make me question what's been happening the last three years with Michigan. You know, we were all dumbfounded that Harbaugh wasn't more successful sooner, right? Like he brought Stanford to a New Year's Six Bowl in what was it, like three or four years, something like that, and you couldn't get anything done at Michigan? It just seems so strange. And then the article literally says that Connor Stallions has purchased tickets in his own name for more than 30 games over the past three years. They specifically say three years. And he also had tickets purchased for the Ohio State-Penn State game this weekend, but they ended up not being used because the story broke beforehand. So three years. That's exactly when this meteoric rise for Michigan started happening. Now, you know, Michigan fans, some will argue how big of an effect does this have on the game? Did the coaches even use the information that he gave them? I don't I don't know any of the answers to that, but that's part of the problem is that I don't know. I don't know if this was the foundation of their game plan and that it was intertwined with everything else they were doing, or if it was just, oh, pff, Connor doesn't know what he's talking about. We're not going to use any of that stuff. But me not knowing makes me question the most successful era of Michigan football I've ever witnessed as a fan. The most successful era of Michigan football since 1997. And I was asking myself today too, if they were to win the national championship this year, how would I feel about it? I also asked myself, do I even want them to win the national championship this year now? Because it would feel so dirty to have this team, you know, up to this point, they've just played flawless football. I mean, flawless. And it, it was something I've never seen before as a Michigan fan. No Michigan fan my age has. And it was like, man, this could. we came into the season. This could be the year. This could be the year. Alabama's down. Georgia's switching quarterbacks. Ohio State's switching quarterbacks. This could be the year Clemson's down. And now what was supposed to be or could have been a banner year for Michigan – there's a cheating scandal, not like an off the field, you know, kid got into trouble or not in recruiting thing, although there was a recruiting thing. This is an on the field in-game advantage, a cheating advantage that could affect the outcome of important games. That means something to me. It does mean something to me. And if if this Connor guy just decided to go out on his own and, and like I said, live out his stupid SEAL Team 6 fantasy, then he's an idiot. If Harbaugh or any of the coaches ordered him to go do this, they're even bigger idiots. But we need to figure out how far this goes and how deep it goes. And, and like we said, we could find out that you know maybe there's no video on his laptop. I don't know. But I feel like most of the damage has probably already been done reputation wise for Michigan. And I feel like there's enough doubt. I mean, if this was Ohio state, I would be taking victory laps as a Michigan grad, as a Michigan fan. Absolutely. I would absolutely, I would absolutely be just singing to the high heavens about how Ohio state is cheated. And that's how they got all their success, blah, blah, blah. So viewing it from that perspective, it's hard to trust this Michigan team and the success that they've had, which just, Corey, you said it perfectly earlier when we were texting about it. It just feels like a gut punch as a fan because there's nothing we can do about it. Do we go brag about our last two Big Ten championships? Do we brag about blowing out Michigan State 49 to nothing? Like, I don't even know what to say about this team now because I don't know what to believe about this team. 
there are a couple things that I, I think we need to consider and not I, I, I echo those statements and I, I you know we we want to get Ethan's perspective on this too because I, I think that'll be really that he'll he'll bring both of the takes together. Um you you are left struggling for this because you look we we are so currently online with everything and you are absolutely correct. If this happened to Ohio State Every single one of us on this podcast would be like, they cheated, no questions asked, blah, 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 they're cheaters, yada, yada, yada. We would be taking those laps, absolutely, for sure. And in the early stages of social media, when some of the stuff was coming out about Ohio State, we were taking laps when that happened, like with the tattoo stuff, all of that. So... And that stuff wasn't even on-field game advantage. It was just off-the-field scandal. No, but I... It, it does with recruiting, and then Michigan's also in a recruiting thing too. That I mean, that will affect your on-field play at some point. Um, he, he, you just feel gross. You really feel gross because, yeah, you're a fan. You're not going to really do anything about it. Like it's not like you're going to stop rooting for your team. You could just be like, I- I'm done. I'm wiping my hands with this, and I'm going to go find, you know, a clean-cut program. Um, and we live in a world where the 2017 Houston Astros had an actually like in-depth cheating, you know, thing to tip pitches and give their hitters, you know, what's coming out of the pitcher's hand, and that is a huge distinct advantage that was used and helped them to get to the World Series. That is almost almost identical, and I want you to say almost because those were grown men making a decision to use this software to get an actual statistical again, sign stealing is not illegal in Major League Baseball. But the act of which you do steal the signs is. And so everybody was up in arms because they were literally pointing a camera at the opposing team's catcher getting the signs and you know doing the whole thing. I ask you to look at this a little bit differently. Not sympathy for the organization or, or like the university, but sympathy for the players. Because this is college. You are a student who is getting coached by a coaching staff. And again, we don't know the extent, but now we have to answer these questions. Um, you're getting coached by the coaching staff and you are given this information from your coach. Oh, like we, we figured out a way to get so-and-so signs. You as a student, as a 18 to 22-year-old, you're not going to be asking questions about that. You're like, oh, this is my coaching staff doing their job and they're they're going to go ahead and do this thing. I... I I would find it hard to believe somebody to point the finger at a Blake Corum, J.J. McCarthy, Roman Wilson, and say, you cheated. Because that's completely different from the Astros thing because they knew what was going on. And I don't personally think that the coaching staff would be like, hey, yo, we, we got these signs from coaches going. That just that conversation is not just going to happen. So once the blame finally falls and once this investigation is settled – I guess, um, then we can finally make actual judgments. But until then, you can't go after the players on this team because they clearly had nothing to do with this. Unless you're sending injured players to go, to go to these games, which we have no reports of that at all. Yeah, I think you're right. There, the dust, there's a lot of dust that still has to settle in terms of finger pointing, because all fingers right now are just pointing at Connor Stallions. And we don't know how far beyond that it goes. So uh, we'll end it there for now. Maybe we'll bookend the episode with 
with this topic because Ethan didn't get to chime in. So when he's back, we'll do that. But it's uh, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth if you're a Michigan fan, probably if you're a Michigan player too. And if you're a Michigan State, Ohio State, Penn State fan, you're dancing on Michigan's grave right now. So we will see how this plays out. A lot more is going to come out in the coming days and weeks, I'm sure, and we'll talk about it. So well, hold let's on. actually get there's, into this. There's no dancing on a grave. This team is not dead. It's just tainted. That's two very different things. I feel dead. I'll put it that way then. They're dancing on my grave. Okay, let's actually talk about stuff that went on that went on on the field this weekend. The biggest game of the week. Ohio State, Penn State. Ohio State takes down the Nittany Lions, man, 20 to 12. I have two takes about this game. I have two takes about Ohio State cuz let's talk about the winners, okay? This is my unbiased take about Ohio State. They might deserve to be the number one ranked team in the country. They have zero style points. Absolutely zero. They do not look dominant in their wins. They look like they're half of a football team because their offense struggles mightily. Their running game struggles mightily. They get stuffed in short yardage situations constantly. But they've probably got the best collection of wins of anyone in the conference. They beat Maryland, who's a borderline top 25 team. They beat Notre Dame, who I believe is ranked 14th in the latest AP poll. And now Penn State, I believe, is still in the top 10 in the AP poll. I don't, I can't think, Corey, can you think of a team that has a better collection of wins right now than Ohio State does? I, I, I legitimately can't think of anybody. No, probably not. I think uh, a Pac-12 team, whoever comes out on top from that, will eventually have a more impressive collection of ranked wins but as it stands right now i don't think there's any other team in the country that has more top 10 wins than ohio state no no so if i'm an ohio state fan i don't care how we're winning we keep winning and i think there's absolutely a case to be made that if the college football playoff rankings came out today they would be one or two and they would deserve it based off resume not style points but resume which is at the end of the day what matters now, my biased take about Ohio State, they cannot keep getting away with this. They cannot keep getting away with playing this super mid-level football and squeaking out wins just because the team they're playing is playing even worse football. That's what Notre Dame did. They had the game in their hands, literally in their hands, with an interception, dropped it, and then two plays in a row sent 10 men on the field. Talia Tagovailoa had maybe the worst game of his career against Ohio State and almost handed that win to him. And then this week, God, Drew Aller. Holy crap, what happened to him? He looked like a shell of himself. Now, he wasn't you know, coming out with explosive plays left and right for Penn State's offense, but dear God, he looked horrible. So that's my bias take. I don't know which one's the real Ohio State, but we're going to find that out. <laughs> oh ethan are you done oh okay peace out buddy it's a duo tonight so so Corey, those are my two takes i imagine you're maybe having the same internal battle as i am i don't think i'm having exactly the same internal battle uh but i will say this ohio state has earned the benefit of the doubt just based off of recent and you know maybe less recent history, uh, because this is what they do. 
They go out. They win big games no matter the cost. It can be with style. This year it has been more particularly on the ugly side. But they have earned that right to get the benefit of the doubt just based off of the way that the program has played. You hear it all the time from Urban Meyer's stupid mouth, and I again, bias is there, about culture. Okay, Ohio State has established a winning culture. And in the college game, that is a huge, huge deal. And when you're not on your best, because you know how to win, you'll figure out ways to win when you're not at your best. And Ohio State, for, I think, in a lot of these games that we've seen, has not been at their best, but they've still been able to win because they know how to win and they know how to not make the mistake that's going to shoot them in the foot. Now, Ohio State, again, was not that impressive. This this game, if you, put, if you strip the jerseys and put on Northwestern Iowa jerseys, you pro- it probably would have been like exactly this was a Big Ten West master class if you watch the majority of this game. But uh, Ohio State has Marvin Harrison Jr., which he had like 162 yards or something like that. I was wa- I watched this entire game from start to finish, and I was like, oh, like where's Marvin Harrison? And then like Gus Johnson is talking, is like, like oh, that's he's had 120 reception yards, and I'm like. What? He just quietly put up literally the best game of his career in a game that ended in way, way under the expected under. So you have your talent, you know how to win, and that is going to help you win games like this, especially when you're at home. Now let's look over to the Penn State side. Um, Drew Aller was not good. He, He didn't have any interceptions. I get that, but I think he was under 33% completion percentage. And Penn State didn't do him any favors either. That was pretty uninspired and uncreative play calling on both sides of the ball. Um, But then when push came to shove and Penn State really needed to move the ball, they were asking Drew Aller to do stuff that he hadn't done all year, and he simply could not do it. I said this when we talked about the game beforehand is that Drew Aller has not been tested and if this game were at home I would feel a little bit better going to the Penn State side but I did not feel comfortable at all because we don't know what Drew Aller can do when he is forced to throw the ball it is different from J.J. McCarthy from last year it worked out for them probably because they stole signs probably not I don't know I'm not gonna unpack that that can of worms but I you were asking Drew Aller to do something that he hadn't done all year which was your bread and butter the run was not established and you had to go away from that. And when a team like Ohio state who again knows how to win knows that you have to pass the ball, it's going to be very difficult for a freshman to do that. Who's never had to do that before. So the end of the game was like a slow and painful death to watch for Penn state. And they just kind of, they didn't help drew Aller out much at all. And he did not look good towards towards the end there. Deep balls, no connection, no chemistry down the field. Explosive plays were not there. And that led to, yet again, another big game loss for Penn State in the Big Ten. Yeah, the Penn State defense came closer to scoring a touchdown than the offense did for 90% of the game when they had that 
uh, that fumble recovery for a touchdown that got called back because of the holding call, which it was a holding call. Um, if I read you these stats, I did this for the Maryland game too. I read off Ohio State's just g- general team stats and I'm just shocked that they're able to win the football game. So they went six for 16 on third down. They averaged 1.9 yards a carry. They had six penalties for 54 yards, which was more than Penn State. And they lost the turnover battle one nothing. And they won the football game. They won the football game. Penn State, I, I mean, I feel like a broken record. This is what I said for Maryland, too. But it's even worse for Penn State. This is such a missed opportunity. Because they were complaining last year that Sean Clifford was the reason they lost these big games. They didn't want Sean Clifford. It was a combo of him and James Franklin. I remember Clifford had the couple of turnovers late because JT uh, JT just took over last year's game. And he actually had a couple of incredible plays late in this one, too. He kind of just owns Penn State at this point. So, yeah, But Penn State, I read those same stats for Ohio State. These are the ones for Penn State. One for 16 on third down. Even worse, 1.9 yards a carry. The exact same. They could do nothing right on offense. Absolutely nothing. So my question is this. How much more time does James Franklin get to try to tackle the Giants in the Big Ten? He gets one more year. He gets one more year. Now this is assuming that uh, Michigan goes into Penn State and wins, um, which over the past couple of years, Michigan has won, but James Franklin has been able to take some wins out of Ann Arbor and you know, go back and forth for a little bit here in this rivalry. But when it's really counted and when they really needed to take that next step, he hasn't been able to. Um, they've always been in this conversation through, you know, about halfway through the year, like, ah, oh, if Penn State can win that one big game, then they're going to, you know, they're going to jump over the hump and they're going to do some stuff in the college football playoff. Has not happened yet. And what? James Franklin's been there for seven seasons long enough long, long enough long enough so i think he gets another double digit win season wins his new year's six bowl game i i think if if you are a fan or if you are the penn state brass and you are okay with where you've been at kind of in the conversation and then now you will get into the playoff too because it'll be a 12 team playoff and i would imagine that penn state would win enough games to get consideration for that so if your concern is just being at this level, you're not going to change. But if your concern is getting to the next level um, and being the, the champion of the Big Ten, one more year before you see a change. Because I, I, we have not lived in a world with a 12-team playoff yet, and I think that will make a lot of coaching decisions a little bit different than they do with a four-team playoff. I agree. It's going to change a lot of perspectives. I also agree that he's getting one more year. I think this, I said this in the off season, I believe that this is a two year window for James Franklin at Penn state. You've got drew Aller next year. You've got singleton at running back coming next year. You've stacked a couple of really good recruiting classes and not just like all sizzle, no steak recruiting classes. Like there's some good trench players in these recruiting classes that they've been stacking up. So I think he gets next year. And then, you know, next year, if he were to lose to Michigan, Ohio state, and then like an Oregon or something, and 
miss the college football playoff or maybe barely sneak in, I do think Penn State fans will have had enough and will demand for his job at that point. I do want to say something real quick here. Um, I have a bone to pick with some of the pundits in college football. Uh, Alex and I, we were talking about this a little bit. Um, Brandon Walker, I know you're not listening, but if you are, this guy, this guy's got to get some accountability here because this guy, and I'm biased, I'll put my hat on, dogs Michigan, says they're built to beat Ohio State, not to win national championships. They go out and they finally get over the hump and they get into the college football playoff. They, they lose a game they shouldn't have lost and then they get waxed in one of them, but they've made it into back-to-back years. So you have to think that's a team turning, making the corner. This guy was talking the absolute praises of Penn State based off of what? We know about James Franklin in the big games in the Big Ten. We know about their, you know, we know about their, you know, their ability to uh, not live up to their expectations. And this guy's like, they're a national title contender. They got the quarterback who hadn't proved anything at all. And then he, they look at Michigan, it's like, yeah, no, I don't trust in J.J. He can't win the big game, even though he went to Ohio State, all of this stuff. It's like, do we just pick a random team in the Big Ten that's going to show some signs and be like, oh, yeah, they're, they're a college football playoff contender right now. And that could still be the case. There's a big game that has to happen in Happy Valley. But right now, no one was saying anything about Michigan winning the national championship until they actually beat Ohio State. That needed to happen before they were ever in consideration for that. But how come some teams get this pass and others don't? I don't understand that. Yeah, they could very well pull a Michigan from two years ago and lose to Ohio State, but beat Michigan, win out, get lucky that Ohio State you know loses two and and make the Big Ten championship game, and then none of us are you know we're eating crow. Um, well, that's the thing. I think if if Michigan loses to Penn State and Michigan beats Ohio State, Penn State would go to the Big Ten uh, title game due to tiebreaker of best schedule. So they really only need to beat Michigan and then win out, and then they're fine. Yep, hope is not lost in Happy Valley. Just a little low right now. All right, let's get to a rivalry game. The battle for Paul Bunyan, Michigan, and Michigan State this last weekend. I was at this game. It was a fun game to be at. I will sum up the game. We don't need to get into too much detail about this one because people witnessed what happened. I'll sum up the game in this. The first quarter, the Michigan State fans were awesome. They were getting loud on, you know, Michigan third and longs. And, you know, they were making it intimidating and, and tough to hear and all that stuff. About halfway through the second quarter, it was silent. You could hear a pin drop. And then about halfway through the third quarter, they were gone. The stadium was half empty by the time the third quarter came around because Michigan's backups were in the game. And all that was left were Michigan fans and just a sprinkling of of Michigan State fans in there because it was bad and it happened very, very quickly. Very quickly. Um, And I also thought it was very appropriate that Michigan debuted their – or not Michigan, that Michigan State debuted their black unis because that is typically what you wear when you attend a funeral service. And that's what Saturday felt like. Wow. Just put them in a body bag, sir. That's <laughs> mic drop. Uh, if we focus on just the football aspect, man, 
what a flawless game by Michigan. I this was I, again. I watched a lot of football on Saturday. This is one of the first times in. I would say a decade going into the Michigan-Michigan State game, just due to the talent discrepancy, that I was not nervous as a fan. Um, and then I got a little nervous at kickoff because it's like, well, you know what, what if? First drive happens and they're like, nah. Okay, maybe maybe not. And then the second drive happens and I was like, oh, oh, this is how this game is going to go. Third drive happens and I was saying, Michigan is doing absolutely anything that they want. Take it with a grain of salt. Michigan State is a team that and I don't really want to dog on them because there is a lot that's gone wrong for this team for out this throughout this year and it kind of falls on the players a little bit too. Um I truly I just think they're trying to get to the end of the year. Just to regroup, figure out what they have, and then just get that clean slate once again and push all of the distractions, everything to the side, start over and then be that thorn in Michigan's side that they've always been. Um, but they just didn't have the talent. There wasn't the same chip on the shoulder, uh, the, the, the bite and the, and the toughness just wasn't there this year simply because the talent wasn't there and it's, Michigan is really, really really good they suffocated Michigan State on on offense the defense played outstanding the offense did whatever they wanted and I've talked to you a couple times this duo tight end thing that they got going on right now we all knew about uh Colson Loveland I told you that AJ Barner was going to be a big deal coming into the second half of this year and he went and balled out you have two tight end options that you can go to as a security blanket Wow, your offense is going to be something special. Blake Corum got a touchdown in this game as well, doing his thing. Um, but JJ had an absolutely great game. Another business trip. Michigan takes care of business, and they cover in this game as well uh, to what we thought was going to be an uneventful weekend. But um, at least they got Paul. Can't take Paul away from us quite yet. Yep, they keep Paul Bunyan in Ann Arbor. I don't know if I said the score, but it was 49 to nothing. And yeah, A.J. Barner, I mean, he's the number two tight end, and he went eight catches, 99 yards, and a touchdown. Like, that's depth right there. That's what you call depth. Okay, let's get into another rivalry game that happened this weekend. The battle for the Floyd of Rosedale trophy. That's right, Floyd the Pig, Minnesota v. Iowa, to be honest, man, did not expect this to be much of a game. And Minnesota said, hold my beer. They beat Iowa 12 to 10. I didn't think they'd have the offense to do it. But we're going to fast forward in this game because the play of the game happened at the end with about a minute and a half, minute and a half left in the fourth quarter. Iowa is down and they are receiving a punt from Minnesota. Minnesota kicks it away. Cooper DeGene is running toward the sideline. He fields the ball, tiptoes the sideline as he's dodging every single Minnesota defender that's coming his way. He cuts it across the field, and he makes it into the end zone. Another walk-off punt return touchdown for Cooper DeGene, similar to what he did to Michigan State this year. And then the refs say he called a fair catch. And you look at the video – 
And in my opinion, I can see where they may have thought that he waved for fair catch. It's not the most convincing fair catch signal in the world. And he was like dumbfounded. He was like, how the heck did they call that on me? His arms were flailing. He was probably yelling poison for people to like get out of the way and let him know he was coming. But man, what a heartbreaking loss for Iowa. They surrender the driver's seat in the Big Ten West. So now Wisconsin is 3-1 and one at the top of the Big Ten West standings. They also dropped their points per game average down to 19 and a half. Um, all around horrible game for Iowa. And you really feel for Cooper DeGene because he's the best player on that team by far. Oh, my goodness. Um, I actually listened to the radio call again. I was mowing a lawn because I needed to get off my couch and stop watching football uh, on Saturday. So I was listening to the radio call. And the Iowa announcers were so fed up with Iowa's offense and Deacon Hill. Like I had never, I have never heard Homer announcers just be like so unenthused and disappointed that the offense had to go back on the field. They literally said, I think four times that Iowa defense got to bail out the Iowa offense once again in this game. Let's see if they can do it. Talking about the punter again. And, Minnesota did not score a touchdown in this game. They kicked field goals. This is what they did. They took exactly what Iowa did. Yeah, they they kicked field goals the entire game. They weren't going to score touchdowns. They knew that. And that's it played exactly well into even how they punted this game away in their special teams. There was a point where they were past uh, the 50-yard line into Iowa territory, and it was like, fourth and one it was like 45 yard line and they chose to punt and I was like what are they doing they should just go for it because they were moving the ball fairly well and later they punted the ball away and Iowa had a three and out (laughs) and it was and it was like because they knew they were going to get the ball back it was absolutely incredible this was like almost like the football god saying we are not letting Iowa get away with this again they are going to lose this game because they cannot move the ball on offense. I will say, I'm in the boat that the Cooper DeGene play was a bad call because fair catch, you have to be over your head, going over with, like, you know, waving. He was waving side to side, like the poison call, saying, everybody back up. That is not overhead fair catch, and even the defenders knew that. But, all points aside, I, I could not believe that he returned that punt for a touchdown that was an incredible play he he spin moved six dudes on the on the sideline and tight rope the sideline and just with one with one spin move with with, one spin move with one spin move cooper DeGene, you dog it's absolutely crazy now here's the thing they're not exactly out of the driver's seat yet ohio state plays wisconsin this week and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume Ohio State's going to win that game, and then they'll be tied, but then Iowa is the tiebreaker if Iowa somehow figures a way to win out. I mean, it's, it's a two-horse race now. It's not exa- they're not exactly out of it. It's Wisconsin's Iowa's division to lose. Well, hold on now, because now it gets interesting because Minnesota now technically holds the tiebreaker with Iowa. So, I, so Minnesota's 2-2 two and two in the conference right there. Right now, Minnesota, here's the here's Minnesota's remaining schedule. Now, Minnesota's not a good football team. 
but neither are the teams they play coming up, at least most of them. They play Michigan State. They play Illinois. They play Purdue. Now, they do have to play Ohio State. But it's not impossible in my mind for Iowa to, to slip up maybe one more time this season. And then Minnesota will close out, per usual, with Wisconsin. I believe that's the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe in that is. game. Which, which Minnesota, they just seem to show up for rivalry games. Like the past few years, they have not been – very good and they keep beating Wisconsin for Paul Bunyan's axe and now they they keep or they get Floyd of Rosedale too so they show up for the trophy games I guess in in Minneapolis but yeah Iowa Wisconsin maybe a Minnesota is sneaky Nebraska's also two and two in the Big Ten West uh they're really battling it out for who gets the right to lose to the Big Ten East champ so we'll see what happens as the uh as the season goes on all right speaking of Wisconsin they pull this one out by the skin of their teeth. They beat uh, Illinois in the Brett Bielema Bowl 25-21. to They scored the go-ahead touchdown in the final minute. Wisconsin, going into the fourth quarter, was down 21-7. to And then they outscored Illinois 18 to nothing in the fourth quarter in an epic comeback. Braylon Allen had an awesome game. Uh, backup quarterback, Locke, I believe was his name, um, he, had a, he had a good enough game. Good enough game to, to win it for him. He didn't throw him, throw it away. So good win for Wisco. I mean, anything to add there, Corey? Was, uh, you know, wasn't really paying attention to this one. but uh, I was dumbfounded that Wisconsin was down at any point in this game, uh, especially by almost three touchdowns. Um, good on them for figuring out how to play football in the fourth quarter. It can be done. They probably took a lot of Rutgers film um, figuring that out. But... Oh, wow, the Big Ten West is so bad. Can someone just someone just needs to just claim this thing and put us out of our misery? Don't 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 do the mediocrity battle again. We got that once already. Yeah, could not agree more. All right, let's get to a team that is going bowling for the first time since 2014. Well, right. uh. This is an asterisk because they they did get to go to a bowl game in the COVID year because somebody backed out. So they, not that they earned their way, but they did go to a bowl. But they take down Indiana thirty-one to fourteen to get their first earned trip to a bowl game since twenty fourteen. Uh, Shiano had the boys fired up. He he was talking to him in the locker room, and they were uh, they were happy. They were excited, so good for Rutgers. Corey, will you be attending the Rutgers bowl game? <laughs> Wherever I don't know. I feel like I kind of have to at this point. If Rutgers wants to, you know, give me an all expenses paid trip to their bowl game, I will go. Um, but shout out Rutgers, man! Uh, they won this game by running the ball. Uh, Manungai was his praises were sung. Um, Indiana has a horrible fan base. Half the stadium was empty before the game started, and I was really worried about Wimsat. I talked about his athleticism last week, um, but at the end of the first half, he had completed like two passes for like 10 yards or something crazy like that, which was absolutely wild. But you know what, Alex? That didn't matter because Wimsat was an absolute beast on the ground. I believe he had two... Uh, rushing touchdowns for like over 50 yards each. Um, I know for a fact that he had like a, at least a 70-yard touchdown run. Um, but the Wimsat game, 
Put some bowling. Congratulations, Rutgers. Go enjoy your vacation sometime in the months of December and January, wherever you go to. Hope it's warm. Yeah, Wimsett had 143 yards on the ground and three rushing touchdowns with a long of 80. Insane performance on the ground from him, and that's what Rutgers does to you. They just want to run the football all day long. And against Indiana, you can really do whatever you want. So that was on the menu. All right, last game. They're not going to focus on this one a ton, but Nebraska beats Northwestern 17-9. to Northwestern kept this closer than I thought they would. They're a scrappy team over there, the Northwestern Wildcats. Um, so, I mean, that's that game is that game. Doesn't Nebraska have an outside shot to win the Big Ten West as well? What's what's the mathematics on that? They are also two and two, just like Minnesota. So the top four in the Big Ten West, actually, I have it pulled up right here. Hold on, top four in the Big Ten West: Wisconsin's three and one, Iowa's three and two, Minnesota and Nebraska are three and four, respectively, both at two and two. So basically, whoever wins out is gonna is gonna take this thing home. Probably, yeah, because let's say if a Nebraska were to win out, they'd probably have the tiebreakers and unless they lost to Minnesota, so they would need some help from Minnesota losing a game there. But, yeah, I mean, whichever team can upset Ohio State, I guess, and win out is going to be oh. the one that wins the conference, besides Iowa because they don't play them. That's a tough, tough task. Again, I think – Yeah, well, I, I mean, it's still it's still in Iowa's hands. What's your yeah? What's your what's your gut? Who do you think comes out with the crown? Well, with Tanner Mordecai out, Wisconsin is no longer a threat to upset Ohio State, in my opinion. Like before, I would have said they have a sneaky shot um, because, like we said, Ohio State just hasn't played the best football. But Iowa's remaining schedule is. Oh wait a second. Okay, I three of Iowa's last four opponents: Northwestern, Illinois, Nebraska. Should all be wins. Their fourth opponent, who they play on uh, November 11th, Rutgers. Iowa plays Rutgers? Iowa plays Rutgers. Oh, they're going to stack the box. They're going to make them pass. I don't think that's a good matchup for Rutgers. Maybe not. So my gut still tells me Iowa. Is your gut still telling you Iowa as well? I mean, you picked them preseason, right? Yeah, I did pick them preseason, but I the the offense just about killed me this past week. Even li- I didn't even watch it the most of the time. I was listening to it the majority of the time, and it was painful. It was three and out after three and out. Like the announcers were making me sick, and those were Iowa people. So, who whichever team can figure out, you know, every every three. Third, three and out, you get a you know one sustaining drive that leads to a field goal. Whichever team can figure that out is gonna win the West. But I guess Rutgers still, in the, or I guess uh, Iowa's still in the driver's seat. So yeah, or at least they will be after next week, most likely. It's becoming a common theme that we save the Big Ten West for last on the show. I feel like only the true sickos will stick around every episode to hear us talk about Big Ten West teams. But they're here and they're ready for it. Yes, they are. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, again, on the socials, Instagram and threads at B1G Banter, Twitter or X at B1G Banter Pod. Hit the plus button, hit the follow button, like button, whatever it says on your phone to help us out. Please do that. And uh, you'll get the pics from us in a couple of days. So make sure you're turning in and listen to that. 
for uh, some money makers. All right, we'll talk to you then. Peace.